On this week's episode of the Limehouse podcast, we have Stephen Kinnock. First and foremost, he's just your dad. You know, I mean, it's like any uh, father-son relationship where, and we got on incredibly well most of the time. We had our fallings out like anybody does with their parents, Um, but he's somebody I admire hugely. So wherever you are, please enjoy this episode of the Limehouse podcast, your liberal speaking team. Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashvan and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Welcome back. How are you doing? How have you been? It's, it's, we've, we've had it all. Gardner Joe over here, Gardner Will over here. We've had, it sounds like I'm introducing another presenter. It's just me. Don't know where Gardner Joe came from. Uh, So what, what, uh, yeah, what, we had a heat wave, 28 degrees, and now it's 11 degrees, maybe lower. So I'm probably going to get pneumonia. I've come straight from a pissing freezing cold garden to do this podcast so if i'm in a weird mood you know why weather does weird shit to people but there's absolutely no denying it so this week's podcast stephen kinnock the one and only we talked brexit of course we talked brexit what else we talked about uh, his his upbringing uh, having a a dad as a former leader of the labor party we talked about uh Jeez, what did we talk about? Talk about fatherhood as well, and and marriage, and obviously the stuff that's uh, happened in his life to get to where he is now. It's a cool, really engaging conversation. I absolutely love this one. Really, from from absolute core, I thought he was fantastic. Such a warm, lovely guy, and progressive. Talks about proportional representation, which is a big deal for me, as you all know. So you have that to look forward to. Uh, next week, it's going to be great. Uh, following the Windrush scandal and every abhorrent piece of shit that keeps happening around that, we have decided. I have decided. Sorry, we. I've decided to get uh, to bring you a conversation with two very reputable lawyers. We're going to sit down and talk about it. Human rights lawyers. We're just going to f- put it all out on the table. Work out what the proceed. What what's next for that that whole. Situation, those poor people, those ab, ab, this ab, absolutely abhorrent situation that's unfolding there. And I thought I'd bring that to you. And that may, you know, that may well be the last episode for a little while. I'm not too sure yet. Depends if I can get a couple of bookings in. Um, yeah, so before we get on with the show, I thought it's worth turning your head to three other podcasts. Because I was I was working this week and... Um, finished my interview with Stephen Kinnock and I went back to the garden the next day and listened to a wonderful James O'Brien podcast called Unfiltered. That has got some mind-blowing conversations on it and I don't 
and I, I'm quite liberal with my words, but I don't, I don't I'm not going to, you know, I don't use it lightly, put it that way. He had a wonderful conversation with uh, Alf Stubbs, uh, Lord Stubbs, about uh, his, his life journey, man. Wow. That's all I'll say. He's got a host of other conversations, including quite a few people that have been on this show as well. So look, if you want to check that out, it's called James O'Brien. It's called Unfiltered. It's fantastic. There's Nick Clegg's got another one, not another one, but it's another podcast called Anger Management. It's His first episode this week was with Nigel freaking Farage. I'm telling you, man, that's the, that's the conversation that I've always wanted to hear and it does not disappoint. It is freaking amazing. Like, at times, oh, this is what podcasting was made for. It was absolutely fantastic. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's called Anger Management. And then you've got Romaniacs, the one and only Romaniacs. I've been listening to that so much lately. I've, I've, I think I've reached my binge now. I've caught up on nearly all of them, pretty much. And that's a wonderful show. You've got Ian Dunt in there doing the thing. Ian Dunn, journalist with the handbrake off. Man, that guy's amazing. Incendiary, fantastic journalist. So that those are the three you have to, you, you gotta. If you're not doing it now, I'm telling you, you have to. It's mandatory, okay? Just don't listen to mine. I don't give a shit. Just listen to those. They're fantastic. All of them are wonderful people doing really, re- really valuable work, genuinely. So yeah, um, is there any more? Is there any more? Anything more to say? We've had a heat wave. It's now freezing. Uh, that's my from the garden perspective. I did some planting this week. That was great. I love planting. I love working with my hands. It's wonderful. I mean, it takes my mind off the fact that my football team, Southampton, are going to get relegated. And I went to Wembley Stadium to watch them in the uh, semi-final of the FA Cup. Toilet, waste of time, all the rest. Did get emotional, actually, before they, the teams came out. Started thinking about my dad, dear old daddykins. But yeah, what are you going to do, eh? What are you going to do? Um, so yeah, after you've listened to those podcasts uh, that I've recommended there, Anger Management, Nick Clegg, Romaniacs, and uh, James O'Brien Unfiltered, maybe you want to review us on iTunes, say eh? The Limehouse Podcast. You don't have to give us five. Look, I'll settle with three stars. You know, gen- genuinely, even if it's two, look, if you give us, that's two, uh, three is okay. That's about my life anyway. Satisfactory. I'm fine with three. But if you feel like four, I mean, that seems like a bit of a lie. So if you want to lie, that's fine. Five is taking the piss. Don't rate us five out of a five out of five. If you go five out of five, that is like giving, it's, it's like, it's like calling a, a Sainsbury's painting that you see in Sainsbury's, those prints. It's like calling that a Van Gogh. Don't do it, okay? Just a two is fine. Three is fine. I'll go with that. But um, do find us on Twitter, at LimehousePod. Follow us. Like, again, I'm not too sure you should follow. Say follow, but from a distance. Don't commit Maybe follow from someone else's Facebook, pe- uh, not Facebook, fucking makes me sick, Twitter account. Maybe just see that from afar, you know, and go, oh, that's the Limehouse podcast. Don't follow, don't again follow us. That's a very, that's a stupid idea. Um, but just, yeah, we're there. We're there. And that's where we are, at Limehouse Pod on Twitter. And um, other things, I would say Facebook, but they're, they're criminals kind of things. So I'm thinking maybe not. Let's just stay away from Facebook. I'm not putting the show up there anymore. Don't 
Jeez, what is going on with the world? Huh? Fuck! God! I'm just, I'm so... I'm not despairing. I'm not despairing. Because North Korea and South Korea are shaking hands, man. But that could well be a conspiracy between all the goodie, the goodies, the, the baddies of this world coming together and finally realising, you know what? If we, we're all bad, right? South Korea, not so much, obviously. But if we convince the world here, they might turn their backs and then we can really do some nasty shit, you know? Hey, I'm, I don't believe in conspiracy theories, but I'm just saying there's a possibility. But yeah, how do you guys feel about um, Lord Maxwell Heathley? He was a dude, right? He really, he's got, wow, what a voice. That was my previous guest, by the way. If you haven't listened to that episode, I, I, I strongly suggest you do. What a, what a character. I mean, it's good to have a Brexiteer on the show before because we never had one. You know, he was he was crazy. He was he was yeah. Maybe one. I mean, I know he listens to the show, so um, maybe he is one uh, sandwich short of a picnic. But I don't know if he he would find that insulting. But anyway, here's the show. Here's here's Stephen Kinnock. I think you'll love it. Tell me what you tell me what you think telepathically, and I'll I will try and link back with you telepathically. I'll try, try and clear my channels. I'm not mad. It's just the cold weather. It's really cold. Take care. All right. Okay. God. That was that was interesting. I hope uh, I hope people really don't think I'm crazy. Maybe I am. I, I'm not a big Yeah, I didn't really want to get stuck in straight away to Brexit, but um, how are you feeling about it at the moment? Well, I think it's very worrying. I mean, this is sort of constant feeling of, of, of malaise about the whole thing and, and also frustration because you just see so many car crashes coming and it is like watching a slow-motion car crash. And, uh, you know, the EU is making it absolutely clear that nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. And that means having clarity... Uh, above all else on the Northern Irish border in my view and that, that issue is just really um, the sticking point and, and without that being resolved you know the, the risk of a no deal scenario really is quite high the EU has said no, de- no transition deal no deal on uh, rights of EU citizens uh, we can't sign off on the future trading relationship etc etc until we've got Northern Ireland sorted out and, and that just seems to be an intransigent issue at the moment how, but how exhausting is it being on that panel in that committee watching these people David Davis etc in front of you just clearly winging it yeah it's I mean it's I don't know if it's exhausting it, re- it definitely is frustrating and, and it, I suppose that ref- reflects how frustrating it is to be in opposition by definition you are not able to actually shape the agenda you're not able yeah. to take decisions and really execute you always have to react to what the government is doing and if the government's making a, a mess of things that makes it even more frustrating and you'd love yeah. to be able to just go in there and and and, sh- and get hold of the situation <laughs> and, uh, uh, but of course it, it you know the one of the really important features of brexit is the importance of time in all of this it's one of those very time-sensitive um, processes, and and therefore that 
that really adds to the frustration levels because you know that there is a hard stop coming and decisions have to be made and 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 this has been clear for well over a year now and, and for well over a year the government has just continued to kick the can down the road fudge it hold on by your fingertips just it's all about party management yeah um, no that's all that the prime minister is doing is trying to just hold her party together it is a, an object lesson in how to put party before country yeah i i, mean, I, I yeah completely i just it just seems like okay what was it like coming up to two years ago since this whole thing kind of came into fruition i was at glastonbury festival or on my way down to glastonbury festival actually one of the worst storms I've ever seen in my life half of Clapham was underwater mm. I mean you know and uh, that's a sign if ever there was one yeah. I, I woke up you know slightly hungover at, at, at the festival and I couldn't quite believe it I spent the whole weekend at the left field stage Glastow listening to Billy Bragg talk about it and what yeah. have you and Clive Lewis and what have you I mean you talk about time there that's quite relevant that's that's like two years ago and that feels like yesterday mm. what happens when we get down to like I don't know a month to go and the poop is still very much hitting the fan mm. what does a party like yours do if Jeremy's not really still not really moving much I mean the big hitters like I suppose like Owen Owen Smith obviously um, yourself are you are you guys gonna wade in and hey it's okay, we're here. <laughs> here come the cavalry. Here come the cavalry. Uh, well, it's all going to depend a lot on what the 30 or 40 sensible and pragmatic Conservative MPs do. Mm. Uh, there is at least that number who are clear that um, the kind of Brexit that we're probably going to get in terms of particularly the terms of the future relationship, the post-transition relationship... Yeah. As things stand, we're heading towards something which just won't work for the British economy and won't work for Northern Ireland either. Yeah. And so what we have to hope is that those 30 or 40 will retain the courage of their convictions mm. and will reject that type of deal. Now, the Labour Party's policy now is very clear. We want to be in a customs union. So if the government comes in uh, October, November with a deal which isn't based on uh, a customs union, uh, we will reject it. And what we have to hope is that those 30 or 40 Tories will vote with us and we have then got the majority that we need to block that hardcore Brexit, that uh, um, hard and extreme and irresponsible Brexit, in my view, that the the Tories are pushing forward. And, And I hope we will have the opportunity then to instruct the government to go back to Brussels and to negotiate a better deal. Yeah. And well, what's your feeling when you see like um, wonderful people like Anna Subri, who've been on this show before and been very forthright about their opinion, not massive like, you know, pro-Europeans at, at, at heart, but still understand the fundamental need of a European Union, a united one, and us being in it. When you, when you see someone like Anna giving it the full Anna Subri... What are, you, what are you thinking there? Like, yeah, man, that's a that's a that's a good person. Yeah, I think I think Anna has shown a huge amount of courage because obviously it's not easy to be a Conservative MP, and when you look at the membership of the Conservative Party and a lot of the support, it's it's it is a it is a, 
there's a kind of undertone of nationalism there and, and it, you know that that people get very fired up and she's been the target of a huge amount of abuse um, but that is also the job mm. I mean I don't really think that we should ever be moaning or complaining about um, the consequences of people reacting negatively when you take a position but that's what we're here for that's what yeah. we stood for election for if you're not prepared to take a position then you shouldn't be in this place yeah. and, and Anna is somebody who definitely does take a position of course we face the consequences some of the abuse that we receive is completely unacceptable and I would yeah. love to get to a place where as a country we can move to being able to disagree without being disagreeable well we'll never get that doesn't seem to be happening and we're never going to get that anyway that that has to me in my mind has completely died like i I just think that we've we've we're just fighting as a nation now a tory civil war and we're having to deal with that in families with friends not so much from some friends perhaps but i'm I'm speaking personally but i'm i'm sure i'm speaking for quite a few people and their families and it's just well we're never putting that one in the box again that's out forever you know? Yeah, yeah, um, I think that's. I think not in your family though. Probably most the most pure pro-European family next to Nick Cleggs, I should imagine. Yeah, I think it definitely uh, from a pragmatic point of view though as well. I mean, it's not a. I think we recognise that um, the British people and their view of Europe is not settled, mm. and uh, I think I certainly am of the view that. Um, over the years, the European Union has made a mistake of trying to take too much of a one-size-fits-all to mm. European integration, and that there should have been a greater recognition of a need for flexibility. That different countries move at different speeds. You know, there's a huge difference between being in the eurozone or being a, a country that wants to join the eurozone, and then those that will never join it. And you know, perhaps I, I was very interested in the speech that uh, President Macron made at the Sorbonne back in December where he said, you know, we do actually need a multi-tier Europe. We need to recognise that there's the Eurozone countries that need to go really deep in their integration, or looking basically at coordinated budgets, a single finance minister. It's the only way you're going to make the Euro actually work. But there is an outer ring of countries that will never be part of that. And that's fine. You know, we should then say, well, that's single market. <laughs> and basically, you know, like the Norway model and yeah. I've, I've become a kind of scratched record on that for the last, over a year now I've been saying we need uh, Brexit should be based on the UK going into the European economic area joining Norway and a few other countries there and just being part of a kind of an, taking an associate status okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. with the EU uh, binds us into single market customs or something like the customs union yeah. but the EEA agreement, which is the foundation of the European Economic Area, is very clearly about market relations, commercial relations. Yeah. It isn't part of ever closer union. It isn't a political project. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've lost count of the number of people on the doorstep in my constituency, older people particularly, who said to me, look, I voted to join the EU, um, sorry, the European Economic Community, as it was back then in 1975. Yeah. But it then became something that I didn't really vote for. Mm. And I thought we were just going to be in a common market, but not bound into lots of, of more political projects. And you mean the people weren't well-informed? My God, wow. Yeah, or that, that it did, of course, any... I mean, it, basically, you know, the European integration 
has moved in a very similar direction to globalization. Mm. Countries have become increasingly interdependent. Business has become global. Um, technology, uh, information communications technology has driven the world closer together. And of course, the European Union has been at the forefront of yeah. that and they've created this. It's an experiment. I mean, no, nothing in the world has ever been done like it. Yeah. Um, but as a, have we ever really had democratic consent in this country for that type of integration? And perhaps what we needed was more to be in a, a waiting room, if you like, in the sure, departure right. lounge. Kind but, of, but we're done know. now, right? So, I mean, I, I don't want to talk about Brexit too much because I think you've got one of the most fascinating lives, like... Out, anyone I've, I've spoken to within within reason, you know, uh, Ken Clark's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Go Ken! But yeah, I take your exact point, and I, I feel like now we're almost reminiscing and and hope and, and also sort of hopeful of what we can achieve. But my God, Brexit! Jeez, jeez, man! Um, I did. I just wanted. I was so fascinated by you for for a quite a while. I just think. <sighs> specifically because of the rise of Jeremy Corbyn um, and for a while now I've recently watched the BBC documentary that you and another host of MPs are the some of the changed everything yeah Labour the some of the changed everything yeah that I mean you know I'm not just blowing smoke or anything but like it's a really it's a very natural not too nasty pernicious sort of uh, investigative look into the process behind people's ideology mm. and and you're you know you're the son of like the the former leader of the the labor party mm. what what's it like growing up with the former leader of the labor party as a dad well i mean he, first and foremost he's just your dad you yeah. know i mean it's like any uh father son relationship where and we got on incredibly well most of the time. We had our fallings out like anybody does with their parents. Mm. Um, but he's somebody I admire hugely. And um, But, I mean, that must have been unbelievable. Like, that, that, that level to look at him. Like, oh, my God, when did you first realise, holy shit, you know, all those cameras on him, all the lights and the drama? When, when did you first realise that's, that's someone? That's not just my dad, that's something else. Yeah, so he became uh, leader of the Labour Party in 1983 when I was 13. So before that, it was... I mean, there's a huge difference between being uh, an MP and then, a, you know, in the shadow cabinet. But yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're not... Nobody recognises you in the street. Nobody really... And then, and then there's a... No offence, pal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, no one knows who... Most people, most MPs, and there's this sort of C list, B list, A list, right? And clearly, when you become the leader of one of the major political parties, you are then A list. So it wasn't an issue at all until I was 13, and then he became leader when I was 13. And, and that's a critical that was age, a big step up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's um, a very interesting age because I mean, 13, I was at boarding school going through some serious shit, and like. My my God, my dad wasn't really in, like he wasn't around as much because I was at boarding school. But those were formative years. Where was your dad? On was he like on the periphery? Was he in and out? Was it? He's a very busy man. Yeah. Uh, once he became leader, obviously it, it mm. kind of, kind of all consuming. But he was incredibly good at always being around. If I was, I used to play a lot of sport when I was younger. He would always be there for the rugby, for the football. Um, he'd always try his very best to be at school evenings and 
um, he'd really try and be around particularly over the weekends and yeah. um, I, I mean it, it is busy but there's loads and loads of people who have very busy parents you know I mean it, yeah, you, I, I've, you know, I've got mates who I was at university with who ended up getting a, a job in business or whatever yeah. and they, they'd say to me you know and, and often maybe living out in the suburbs leaving the house at six o'clock in the morning mm. coming back at eight o'clock they weren't seeing their kids either so yeah. obviously politics is it is a it, when you rise to that level it, it's very very busy times but yeah, yeah, sure. there's lots of jobs out there which are very busy so I know it's not of course there's some aspects which are different and, and he had a public persona uh, and and of course you know there was the famous uh, spitting image where he's falling over on the beach every single Sunday right, evening yeah. and all your mates take the Mickey out of you. The next I don't time. I don't really give a shit about that kind of. Sorry, pardon my language, brother. You're allowed. You're you're probably not allowed to swear, but I am a sweary kind. Right, of guy. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> see but I just, I just think it's so. To me, anyway, I lost my dad like about um, well, fifteen odd years ago, fourteen mm. years ago, and I'm expecting a kid soon. Oh, congratulations. Um, thanks, thanks. And um, I'm mega excited. But I thought when I first started this podcast that, you know, oh, my dad might be proud. I've had a little chat with Michael Heseltine, whoever, and oh, I wonder what he'd say. And now, like, you know, that was a little while ago. Now I'm expecting a baby. And it's becoming more and more of this, oh, my God, my dad thing. And the relationship with fathers is actually quite an interesting one. And the only reason I thought I'd bring this up with you is because of just how much of a dynamic human being that, you know, you were looking up to. That's very different to most people, really different. And I don't know, I just thought that'd be kind of like a cool thing to talk to you about without, without you know, putting you on spot and making you feel like, oh, hang on, what do you want to know about here? What's this guy about, you know? It's just like... I can't imagine that if there's a distance between the massive realms of Parliament and then little Stephen and stuff, you know, and, and then how you then made a relationship with politics. So it can't have been all that weird or bad to then to be where we are now in Port Collis House. Yeah, I think it uh, it's actually amazing how many MPs here are here because of somebody in their family. And now, not, not obviously not every MP's father or mother was the leader of a political party, but you talk to so many colleagues. Yeah, the person that inspired me was my grandma, who was a councillor, or my you know uncle, who was an MP himself, or yeah. someone else who was a... And, and the family thing really does mean a lot, because I think it... You come, you, you, that's where you learn your values, right? That's where mm. you learn how it, it, you, what you should believe in and, and what you want to believe in and, and how you should behave. And, and so much of our politics is about our values and about, you know, we, of course, we get embroiled here into all kinds of technical discussions about particular pieces of legislation. And, mm. and, but, but fundamentally, you know, that's also what civil servants in Whitehall can yeah. deal with. We are here to provide a kind of, I think, you know, a, a, a moral and values-based uh, roadmap for the country. Yeah. We're, we're voted in uh, at general elections in order to provide that kind of leadership. And so, you know, you are, you, this place is full of people that have, where, whose families, I think, mm. have given them a really strong sense of how the world should be. And, yeah. and that it's your duty to try and leave the world a better place 
than when you came into it. Or like a massive injustice that's like, you know, caused someone to just ride that wave all the way into Parliament or what have you. Yeah, I think there are, I mean, there are people where it's just been certain yeah. events in their lives that have driven me, but I, I think what's, what is remarkable is the number of MPs you talk to yeah. Who, who will say I, I'm here because of the values that I learned around the kitchen table yeah. at home. Mm. and so I'm, I'm no exception at all mm. in that sense the only thing that's different is just that my my dad happened to <laughs> be the leader of the party but it's actually can a you, you direct can... causal umbilical cord from what right. he taught me yeah. to what some other MPs, uncle or auntie or cousin or brother or grandma or granddad taught them. It's the same thing. So what did he teach you? Like, I mean, I, I, I'm jealous in a way. Like, it's such an amazing position to be in. But what, what did your dad teach you? I mean, it, it, it doesn't have to be political. Just like a core thing. It's all about values. So it's all about saying um, you have to work as hard as you can so that you can be in a position to make a difference, mm. to try and make the world a better place, mm. uh, and that you have a duty, um, if you've been fortunate enough to to get a good education and work hard and get yourself into a position where you can actually make a difference, it has to not just be all about you. It has to be about service, and it has to be about a sense of... Um, there's, you, you need to be part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, and I, I think that, that those, those values were hammered into my sister and I mm. from the moment that we were born. Yeah, and then, and then you married the Prime Minister of Denmark. Yeah, although... Former, at the time. Uh, but, but very important to note that when we met in 92, 93, yeah. we were just students at, at, right. uh, doing RMA at the, uh, at the College of Europe in Bruges. And probably if she had told me at that time, well, I'm think, I think that in the long term I'll be throwing my hat in the ring to try and become the leader of a centre-left party and yeah. uh, to go on to potentially, and then to be Prime Minister as she was, I think I probably would have called a taxi straight away. What was that ride like? Um, that must have been an amazing ride in, in, in terms of like, I mean, what's it like in Denmark? Are they crazy as we are in terms of like politics and, and in ter- sorry, I mean, media spotlight? Uh, yeah, the media spotlight is huge. It's a very different political culture there because yeah. they have proportional representation. Oh, what and you mean, the, 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 what we want and like how normal progressives want? Yeah, like yeah. 21st century right. as opposed to yeah. the sort of 18th century where we live in this country. Oh, I don't know. I'm really happy with it. It makes me feel so good. <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm, I'm very active in uh, Make Votes Matter and the Labour campaign for electoral reform. I believe passionately in um, that first past the post should be abolished and we should have a more proportional system. But, uh, but anyway, just, I mean, that's a digression from well, no, it, it, Danish it hits politics. My, yeah, is, it yeah. affects the whole culture of the place. So it's much more of a consensual political culture. But nevertheless, you know, there's a fair degree of nastiness in there. But it's not, it's not like a Punch and Judy show like it is here. Yeah. But there is a... Uh, Sorry, uh, that's the division bell, guys. The, so you just have to di- despair. Uh, it's adjournment, actually. We're, we're finished. Adjournment, fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what are the chances of that? The chances must be a billion to one, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely bizarre. And uh, I, no, nobody could ever explain the uh, how that happened or why it happened. Love at first sight, that kind of thing? Yeah, no, of course, but it, we, it was just well, Steve and Heather. I mean, there was no... Absolutely no... Body would have said, 
I'm going to bet £100 on Heller becoming the leader of the Danish Social Democrats. So when Heller and I first met, you know, and we, we met in 92, 93, got married in 96, had Johanna and then Camilla, and then it all kind of, it was all after that, really. So we'd yeah. already been married for many years before uh, the 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 Danish political thing came on the on the scene. On the scene. So yeah, it was just bizarre, absolutely bizarre. So she was aware of, of you and your political background, I should imagine, and then it's just like, well, that kind of works. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying there. That sounds a bit presumptuous. You know, like all political people just automatically have some sort of chemical reaction, which isn't true at all. Oh my God. No, I don't. I mean, we were both... In the College of Europe, there was like there were like three streams. You can either do economics or law or politics. So we were both in the politics stream, and so yeah. by definition, anyone who's in the politics stream, you assume, is interested in politics. So that was already something which brought us together, and we had that shared interest. But at that time, neither of us were thinking of going into to, to standing for office. She she never had that in her mind. Really, I think yeah. it, you know it took some years before she that all kind of came together so uh, it, I don't think that had anything to do I think it was just more boy meets girl to be honest yeah, yeah well that's politics had maybe 2% to do with that's it that's quite a relief I've yeah. got to say yeah. yeah hey let's get together and make a power couple ooh yeah, god no, you no, know no, house no, of cards um, but uh, what I mean obviously your, your 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 heritage and heritage political heritage have you ever like Forgive me if I, you've already, like, this is totally obvious, but um, leadership for the Labour Party, is that now even, that's not, I can't even be a, a thing for, like, people like myself. I put you in the, my category. I think that, you know, there are a bunch of us that just think, you know, let's not necessarily stop, but just let's try and reform Brexit. And therefore we have to have a... Yeah. You, you, it it must be quite yeah. tricky being in your position four or five years ago were you thinking you know I could lead this party and now it's just completely off the cards yeah I mean I, I the, the thought hasn't really occurred to me because really uh, I, I mean I've only really been an MP for five minutes uh, and which is surprising I always thought you were there for like 15 years but anyway that's me being an no I was elected in, in 2015 yeah, yeah, yeah so it's only been three years yeah. Um, and yeah I have no front bench experience I very briefly I was a BPS very briefly but resigned as part of the mass resignation um, shortly after the European referendum you know we, I'm familiar we know with all that, about that. Yeah, we, know, <laughs> we know that history um, so I, I think Right now, for me, it's just all about really focusing in on the Brexit issue because, quite sadly, it is an issue that I I actually get very passionate about, and uh, you know, I'm I, I campaign passionately for Remain. My wife is Danish. Both of my daughters were born in Brussels. Mm. I will always believe that the UK's national interest is best served by being an actively engaged member of the European Union. Um, but I also, I guess I've been through the three or four stages of grief, you know, you, with the referendum result, my first reaction was anger, and then I was in denial, uh, but then I finally came to terms with it, and by the time we got to the autumn of 2016, I was, well, I think we now have to try and make the best of it, and uh, I I am a pragmatist, I am, I, I accept, you know, that you, you politics is, is not about protest, it's about yeah. persuasion. And do you have sympathy for like 
Owen, Owen Smith, after his, you know, let's get rid of him sort of thing. Oh, when, in terms of Owen's leadership when, challenge? When Jezza, no, 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 when Jezza got rid of him off the front bench um, for basically just being normal and just saying, look, you know, I, th- I, th- I think we need a different approach and when a second referendum really wouldn't be the end of the world. I mean, that's just normal. For me, anyway, that's just, okay, fine, he should have known, he's a front bencher, he should, there's, there's whips, you know, there's, there's, there's avenues that you do it, right? But still, I, I'm, I'm thinking he represented a whole bunch of you guys that was like, oh, you must have had your head in your hands going, oh my God. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the real challenge as well is that there's this disconnect between official Labour Party policy as part as passed by resolutions at party conference, mm. which says that we as a party should remain committed to remaining in the single market and the customs union, but then the, the policy that the leadership is pursuing, which is, uh, okay, now we're, we finally got round to saying yes to a customs union, but we're still officially opposed to uh, being in the, in the single market. I actually think it's a real pity that we didn't talk more about the European Economic Area Norway option, because in fact... Norway isn't fully part of the single market. There's no, for the EEA, there's no common agricultural policy, no common fisheries policy. You can reform free movement of labour. You're not subject to the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. So there's actually a, there was a, there's a real way through this, which we unfortunately as a party have failed to take. Why? Why? What's, what's, what's the resistance you're meeting? I do not I, fundamentally understand it. I, I don't really understand it either. I think that a lot of people raise this concern about, oh, will you go from being a rule maker to a rule taker, and that Norway just has to accept everything that's being generated in Brussels. But let's face it, it, I mean, even if you just had a crashing out of the EU and went into the World Trade Organization, you'd have to take the rules of the World Trade Organization. I mean, everyone has to take rules, unless you want to become North Korea. (laughs) Everyone in this world is a rule taker, one way or the other. We voted to leave the European Union, thereby uh, giving away a huge amount of our influence. Mm. If we accept that, then what you have to do is say, well, let's get us as close as we possibly can. Let's get out of the European Union, yes, but without wrecking right. the British economy. And, and actually, the EEA model is not the same as full single market. Mm. So that's the route that the leadership should have taken. Mm. Owen spoke out. He said his thing. I, I think, to be honest, I think he... he You'd need to ask him this question yourself, but I wish looking I at could. it, I, I would have probably thought he probably wasn't that surprised. Yeah, well, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was part of a process you know, that he was. There's yeah. collective front bench responsibilities. So yeah, I think he knew what he was doing. Now, I, think I, I mean, think it is challenging done. for Jeremy to impose that, given that he, um, I mean, he was never on the front bench himself, but uh, he uh, voted against the Labour Whip 555 times. Right. He was, he, I think he voted more against Labour than David Cameron did. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, that, that is also a challenge the leadership has in terms of trying to preach about loyalty when Jeremy himself hadn't shown any loyalty to any leader uh, ever. Right. In his time as a backbencher. Yeah, no, and that's... But I do accept as well there's a difference between being front bench collective responsibility as a backbencher... You can pretty much do and say what you like, yeah. which I know, and I'm enjoying tremendously being <laughs> myself. <laughs> I'd love to press you on this more. Oh, five minutes, um, but uh, my my thing at the moment, I think a lot of people are romancing about, perhaps in a in a forward looking way, is people like yourself, Caroline Lucas, um, 
there are others, uh, Chukaramuna, uh, Vince Cable, whoever maybe, um, that you could, you know, just all get together, just quit the Labour Party and their, you know, weird full frontal Brexit thing that no one really knows quite what they're doing and just form this other party it would be just so much better for everybody right you know it's I can tell by the look in your eye that you're like how no man that's (laughs) that's not on the cards but you know what I'm saying like there are so many people that look at people like yourself and think come on just just do it yeah I think think there's two answers to that question um, in terms of explaining why it's A not the right thing to do and then be why it can't happen <laughs> <laughs> on, uh, on why it's not the you right you can just thing say shut up do. and we can get on another question you know? no 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 it's a very interesting question of course it's been in the news a lot lately this idea of a new party yeah um, the reason it's not the right thing to do is because um, the Labour Party and its history means that it has a very special place in our hearts and I don't think there's a single uh, Labour MP that doesn't have a very strong emotional so tribalism with the party I don't know I think it's more familyism it's like it is it is a Labour family it'd be like walking away from your own oh come on just walking away from your own people just do it you know it's so much it's going to be so much fun okay you? I'll lead the party, okay. Oh, you'll be the leader, okay. right? Okay, okay. Yeah, okay, fine. okay. Now I'm fine. going crazy, but yeah. so sorry. Your, your first reason is is va- vaguely, forgive me, but vaguely tribalistic kind of family. I understand that feeling. I have that sometimes with the Liberal Democrats, but I'm constantly getting reminders of why I should probably just look elsewhere. But that's why my formation of this question is: where else am I going to look? Because I'm not convinced by the Labour Party. Mm. Sorry, people like you, I the hell I am. Jeez, you know, David Lammy. Oh my God, I adore I adore you guys. But um, your second reason for not um, for not joining, making, creating another party, um, which is, is not why it shouldn't happen, but more, more why it couldn't. Yeah, happen. Uh, and that's because of our voting system, uh, the deeply anachronistic. Uh, and uh, and and damaging and divisive uh, first past the post system yeah. does actually one of the one of the byproducts of it is that it's almost impossible to create a new party and for okay. that new party to get a real foothold in politics. I mean, just I, I am definitely in no way, shape, or form a fan of UKIP, but I do still think it's unbelievable that UKIP got 4 million votes in 2015 and one MP yeah, yeah, whereas the SNP yeah. got 50% of the vote in, in Scotland and 95% of the MPs it's it's just ridiculous but it, it does it, the, the byproduct is that you, creating a new party is um, is a mugs game but don't you think that it's just about creating something that people can believe in and we're getting further and further down the line where you know there's very little for, for people to believe in I mean, case in point, probably Brexit. Yeah, fine. People are completely confused about the Tory party and the Labour front bench. And then you look at Windrush, they're completely confused with the Tories. It's obviously nothing to do with with Labour. And then you think about anti-Semitism in the Labour party, which is a very, very, very small percentage. But, you know, and then you and then you just look at the very ancient methodical ways of doing things. And then you've got people like when you're facing me, I'm thinking, I want you in a point of more power I want people like David Lammy in positions mm. of more power 
Caroline Lucas. I know I'm just mentioning progressives, but isn't there a part of you that just thinks when you're watching news like night, late, late at night and these people, Anna Subra, etc., on the, on the telly, you're going, let's just get together, man. Let's just form a band. Let's just do this. Let's give people something to believe in. Because at the moment, other than momentum, I think this country's struggling. I think, uh, I mean, I saw that poll the other day, which I thought was very interesting. 47% of the people polled said there should be a new party in the UK. So there, there, is, there is clearly an appetite for it. A huge appetite. But, but I, I think the, the problem is I, I'm not prepared to accept that the Labour Party... Is done for. I believe the Labour Party of Clement Attlee, of Ernest Bevin, mm. of Nye Bevan, of Harold Wilson, and and yes, of people like Gordon Brown and Tony Blair. Right. I know that they're. I know very divided. But, but let's not forget what we have achieved in government and what unites all of those people. The red thread going through all of it is, it's about unity. It's about not mm. polarizing. And my God, the country needs the Labour Party more than ever now because we've got to be the party that can reunite the country. We are so deeply divided. Young versus old city versus town, graduates versus non, non-graduates. I think there's these two I, almost yeah. tribes of people in this country which you might call the cosmopolitans and the communitarians. I take your point. We are the party. We are the only party that can reunite the country. I, but yeah. we, do, we do need a, a, a clear signal to the country mm. that we're not a polarising party. Oh, we, yeah, yeah. We're a party of reuniting. But you've been polarised. It's, not, it's not, nothing to do with Labour. This is a, this is a Tory polarisation of the country. Surely there's men that you listed, a fine bunch of chaps. Wouldn't they be saying to you, come on, you guys, just be brave, just go for it. You can have a red line. of. There's a red line in Lib Dems, there's a red line in Greens, and, and, you know, and some Tories that would go, yeah, I respect what the Labour Party stand for. And it is about going for it, you know, and just, just having the balls to just say, right, we're going to do this, you know. And, 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 you know, just ditching the old school point one that you made. And just going for it, leading this country in a wonderful, new, exciting direction. I'm really pushing it here, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the, uh, the big question that you'd have to ask is, do you want to discard the 100 years of this great party that has been the greatest force for good? that the country mm. has ever seen. Do you just want to scrunch that up like a bit of old it's paper not, or an empty it's not, Coke can it's not. and throw it in the bin? It's about know? saying that that 100 years, we have. I, as a Liberal Democrat, would look at 100 years, the most amazing achievements that Labour Party have, have, have achieved, and say, I want a bit of that. I want a bit of that. And there are Greens out there, like I said a few seconds ago, and just... Just not, it's not about scrunching up and throwing it away. It's about saying we're taking those elements and that have been completely, not necessarily all of them eroded by Corbyn, but an awful lot of it is being discarded. And what a lot of what your father achieved and what Tony Blair then picked up on, that's not that's kind of being chucked away. And a lot of people like me, the centre centre left, are going, "Where's our voice then?" You know, I, I refuse to. Uh, believe that that tradition of the Labour Party, that unifying whole nation, patriotic uh, um, um, platform of opportunity that we have created down the decades, 
uh, has been somehow hijacked and hijacked forever. I, I just, I am not ready to give up that battle. Okay. And, yeah. um, and I just don't believe that we should because, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants and we owe it to them. We've got to honour their legacy. And, yeah. you know, I think Clement Attlee would be turning in his grave if he thought we were just going to give up. I think he'd be turning his grave at what's going on at the moment yeah. with the Labour Party. But I mean, I mean, Lord Adonis had a really good chat with him about it, and he's a he wrote a lovely piece in the New European about about Clement Attlee, and it and it just made me realise that you know we have the, the shoulder shoulders of giants is a very apt thing to say actually. Yeah, but, um, we 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 cannot just allow that to be forgotten about or yeah. wither on the vine. So so if uh, I'm, if know. I'm a lost voter, right? I'm not too sure where I am because, frankly, I think the Lib Dems have have lost their way quite a way, in a massive way. Um, should I join the Labour Party, and if I should, why? I think if you believe, don't doorstep me, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. it doesn't have to be to everyone in, who's listening to this podcast. Like specifically me, like I am, I feel quite politically homeless. Yes. You know, yeah, and I freaking and a do, lot of people are saying that now. And, and I do and not like Jeremy Corbyn. Very polarized. So, um, yeah, you know, look, I, I, I mean, I think it's it's about signing up for what you believe in and and finding that party, which of course you're never going to agree with absolutely everything in a party's manifesto. You're never going to sign up to every comma and full stop. Uh, uh, that, a, that a particular leader or, or set of leaders within a particular party are saying, but you will always know where your heart is and you'll know where your values are and you'll know which party you identify with. I think yeah. that's really, really important. And we have to accept that there are millions of people across the length and breadth of the country that do not spend every minute of every working uh, waking <laughs> yeah. hour uh, thinking about politics. <laughs> really? Which, which, which party stands for me? And, and and even though they you know they'll they'll say oh, I've got a few issues with the Labour Party these days. It's not really yeah. the Labour Party that I was used to vote for. They will always still say, but it's still my party. It's the party that stands up for people like me. Do you do you and feel like that? It's... I think it's still the case, but mm. we do have to be very careful as a party that we don't go down a rabbit hole uh, where we start to look like we're only standing up for one particular section of the population we see that's what I'm kind of getting and we're not driven by conspiracy theories as well I think I'm so current concerned about the sort of rise of the conspiracy theory as the world view yeah Uh, not just in the Labour Party it's happening across politics I think but this kind of constant domination of of the conspiracy theory and that actually is the driving force behind the, the, our problems with anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, it is a terrifying place politically to find a home when you consider all the bad, the badass information, the false information that's out there. I mean, Facebook alone, oh my God, personal history with that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really conscious of the time. I don't know if I've overrun or you know, hogging you or whatever. Go, go ahead. We, should we do like another... What do you need? Another ten minutes? Yeah, that would be do wonderful. Minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, That'd you, be great. Keep an eye on the time. Well. Okay, it's yeah. twenty past. Yeah. Um, but so if I'm if I'm going to make that change, you got like David Lammy, who's been unbelievable on Windrush, mm. understandably, mm. just like mm. he's a great campaigning MP. David. Yeah, yeah he really is. Yeah. That I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Why why you wouldn't want to 
fall not fall fall away from the from the Labour Party to form another party to take on Brexit and blah blah blah, blah because you you do have that wonderful heritage in the party. But I mean, if if for me, my my personal thing is, if I know Corbyn's not going to move on Brexit, he's not going to budge, and my only real hope is the Lib Dems, and they're naught point whatever in the bloody percentage polls. What do I do? You know. Well, um, I mean, you know, politics is. uh... Let's get a spider graph. You know, let's let's create a graph and just go. What does Will do? Yeah, but it's it's also because this it's such a movable feast, right? I mean, the the, I'm sorry, I'm mixing my metaphors. The the pendulum swings, and we we just don't know. We we've we've moved the party to a place now where, thank goodness, we've committed to being in a customs union for for Brexit. Yeah. The big next step, I hope, will be to shift towards a uh, European economic area, the kind of Norway option. Yeah. I mean, there are people who are in the camp of we must at all costs stop Brexit. Mm. I, I personally don't think that's the right place for our party to be, not least because it, you can't claim to be the whole nation reuniting party if you're still driving forward that particular... We've got to accept that yeah. 17 million people voted uh, to leave the EU and we can't Absolutely. just... Uh, block our ears and pretend that we don't hear that so so we've got it's got to be about softening brexit not stopping brexit you forfeit the right to have an opinion about how we should leave the eu if you're campaigning against leaving it in the first place so you've got to accept that and then have a voice and and i think our voice slowly but surely i think that we can get the leadership into the right place Um, I think there's an opportunity if the leadership does get into the right place mm. to make it very, very difficult for the government, which in the end is our duty as Her Majesty's loyal opposition to hold the government to account well, and Anasi- hold their feet to the so Jeremy should also yeah. be looking at this not only through the lens of Brexit, but also through the lens of the, the democratic role of the opposition. Mm. And, and also, you know, he needs to ask... Does he really want to support a Tory Brexit? Yeah. Uh, what are your views behind? I'm so I'm pivoting slightly here, but on the BBC documentary um, that I was referencing earlier, yeah, they did focus a lot on momentum. Yeah. And no one's really been able to really penetrate momentum in terms of uh, journalistic uh, sort of like um, a document, like a documentary, what have you. But where do you fit in in that? Uh, sorry, in your mindset in in momentum, their their emergence. And they're seemingly almost, I wouldn't say, like, dominance of, of the PLP or anything like that. But the, yeah, let's just say the emergence of... Yeah, of I like, think there is a wrong way for momentum to go and a right way mm. for momentum to go. And my opinion about momentum, for me, the jury's out. Um, and I'm, going, I'm waiting to see how they, uh, what they do and how they act and how they work in the coming... Uh, weeks and months. Well, it's been like the a wrong year. way to go is that they get stuck into deselecting MPs, mm. not coming down hard on people who are um, in any way abusive or the anti-Semitism, uh, and and all and and becoming an organising party within a party. In essence, yeah, yeah. entryism. Uh, mm. And you know, we we have in the party had to to deal with the militant tendency in the 1980s and we do not want to go back to those days not least because it does nothing to support the election of Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister which is I'm assuming what they all want in momentum Uh, the right way for them to go 
is to really harness that enthusiasm of the young people coming through. Look, I think in principle it's fantastic that we're now the largest mass membership political party yeah. in Europe and yeah. uh, you know 600,000 members absolutely tremendous yeah. my worry is that some of those 600,000 are, are people who are driven by this weird sort of conspiracy theory view of the world where you know the, the global economy is being run by a shady cabal of Jewish financiers and NATO is nothing but a bunch of warmongers and the European Union is just a neoliberal capitalist plot those people, I don't think, none of those views, in my view, are Labour views. And that is not the tradition of the Labour Party I come from. That's a kind of, that sort of wacky, hard left um, worldview driven by conspiracy theories and, and, and sort of almost like a cult, which I have no time for whatsoever. And I don't think people who have those views should be in the Labour Party. Yeah, no, and I they agree. shouldn't be in momentum either. Um, so, I, you know, but there's a really... There's a really positive role that Momentum could play as a, a really effective campaigning uh, body that goes out there, supports the MP, gets out on the doorsteps, enthuses young people. Which I thought that they were. become a sort of weird well, cult. They, they kind of, it's not necessarily the weird cult, it's the influence that they're now garnered from their success that I'm really... I don't know what more interested in I suppose because labor isn't that naturally my home but I am there is a degree of worry there you know that they have garnered this success and and, and influence and now they're creeping into into a serious state of control within in the, the uh, PLP I I think uh you know the PLP is full of some very, very talented MPs who know how to look after themselves. And we've all done our share of street fighting. And we've all done our share of being challenged and disagreeing with people and people coming in and, and perhaps sometimes trying to undermine you. I'm just That's sorry, the I've nature just, of the beast. I've just got images of you you and David Lammy beating the shit out of like pe- like <laughs> horrible, horrible UKP people on the street. Which obviously didn't happen, but yeah, I've turned Alan Partridge there out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, you know, obviously we 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 just got to stand by what we believe in, and, mm. and also try and explain to uh, colleagues in Momentum and other parts of the party that getting into the territory of deselections mm. and spending our whole time trying to unseat people from general management yeah. committees from ward meetings from and making it this kind of exercise in navel gazing is yeah. that really what the country needs right now power grabbing yeah yeah like internal civil war is just not very attractive to people like me no. but um just yeah i think we're kind of approaching we're that there, yeah. um you're, you're you and your dad obviously going back to me and my dad not being around anymore poor old me hmm. um late night um, whiskey I don't know either of you drink or whatever let's just go for it and say you do sure um, yeah. you know and you're discussing the ill the, the ups and downs of the world um, what's like the, the advice that your dad would give you that's, that's given that he has given you that's lasted the longest that is like a little ticking clock in you that keeps you going uh, it's kind of a, an image actually which is he says always imagine yourself shaving and when you shave, you have to really look in the mirror. And you'll sometimes be looking at, at what you're actually doing to shave, but you, you will also catch your own eye. And he says, 
when you do catch your own eye, make sure that you can look right back at the guy in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm doing what I believe in, I'm doing what I believe to be the right thing, and that I have personal integrity. Mm-hmm. That you know, I think for Dad, integrity was always the most important thing. Make sure you're doing what you do and saying what you say for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and I, that never would be like a holier than thou, self righteous. Yeah. Both of us have got a pretty high level of self irony, and uh, you know, not don't go around preaching at people, but um, just make sure you can look yourself in the shaving mirror yeah. and, and stare right back and, and not flinch when yeah. you do that. And obviously, your your wife gives you loads of advice just to balance this out because I I, I just suddenly realised that it's very male. And also, my wife gives me tremendous advice. Yeah, sometimes. yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, Hilla, Hilla is um, um, somebody who's got an incredibly sort of incisive way of, of looking at the world, and yeah. and I'm incredibly proud of her. You know, I mean, she to be the first ever female leader of the Danish Social Democrats, Denmark's first ever woman prime minister you know that is just I'm just so proud of her every time I say those words my heart is bursting with pride and my goodness I would be a pretty stupid guy if I had that sort of 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 intelligence and talent in my own house and I wasn't taking her advice so you know she gives me great advice and we often knock different ideas around and mm-hmm. share the problems that we're facing on a day-to-day basis have. yeah no I, I'm so privileged to have that I'm so, I'm so yeah. privileged and I was amazed I mean you saw that documentary I, I was absolutely amazed by the reaction to, of some people to that because there's that famous scene or no, probably notorious I should say yeah. where she's giving me advice and oh, saying yeah, yeah, yeah. why yeah. you know why are you doing this well, why she, she knows me so well she sees in my body language that I've come into this count and everything's being thrown at me at the same and, and, I, and suddenly I'm like somebody's just pinning a microphone on me and I'm basically not even you know and I because I I like I think it's right to engage with the media I think if you're a politician who doesn't like engaging with the media it's like being a plumber that doesn't like <laughs> fixing the bathroom right, you, right. it kind of goes with the well, job I'm so here, I always so, engage yeah, but she also yeah. knows I'm she, she often has a go at me and says you're too polite you say yes to everything you know you need to be more selective and I think she's right about that um, and so that it was all part of that conversation we had when she comes in and says all that to me in the in the, the documentary. The reaction, oh look at Kinnock, he's being told what to do by his missus. Oh, okay. And I just realised what an incredibly old fashioned country we live in. Oh, yeah. Where a man being told in a robust way by his wife what she think you know, her advice to him yeah. is somehow seen as this emasculating uh, disempowering yeah. you're under the thumb she put you in the dog it was a romantic moment for me I thought it was really genuinely that's how this stuff should go down and that's not just that it's like the prime minister ex-prime minister of of a country telling somebody what they what they're trying to garner some some advice, you know, sort of yeah. gone, but give you some She's advice. She's got my back, right? Which right. is what you'd expect a wife to do. And I would always hope that I, and I'm sure she would agree that I have her back as well. And that's, we've always done. We've supported each other through thick and thin. Yeah. And uh, I was just so amazed by the reaction on social media. Just the vileness? The number, yeah. of, and, and in all the newspapers, the, the Mail, the Express, the Times, Telegraph, all run, ran these stories 
saying our uh, Labour MP Stephen Kinnock uh, gets ticked off, uh, put in his place under the thumb. And I thought, my God, we are literally living in the 1950s. No, but, but they are. Those yeah. assholes that print that shit are the general public, I feel, in some degree, to... I don't think they are. I think that they've responded. I think we'll see... We're, we still are... A, 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 I think some of us are very progressive mind, and I don't mean some, I mean a lot of us want to move in that direction. A lot of I go to see football a lot, go see Southampton a lot, yeah. and there are people in the stands. Just the other day, there was an absolute idiot. He was pissed out of his face, and he said something he shouldn't have. And the the Saints fans, a l- lot of them, kicked him out. And I think that reaction, that's, good. that's yeah. the press. That's not the people. And I think when no. I saw that reaction between you and your wife, that. It was a very romantic moment. I felt actually quite, you know, that's really genuine. And, yeah, you know, it was funny did... because, it, and it's in many ways exactly why I did that documentary, why I agree, why, and why I like fly on the wall documentaries when they work, because it also shows the chaos and confusion. There's this, there's this narrative out there that politicians have it all, you know, House of Cards. It's all like Figured a out. plot, Machiavellian. Yeah. It's all conspiracy. It's not. Half the time, we don't know what we're doing. We're human beings, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You go into a situation, you're reacting, you're improvising. You don't know what you're doing. And I think everybody in their lives at some point has had that moment where they're not quite sure, a bit of indecision. That's when your wife or your husband or your best friend or your mate oh, or your yeah. brother or your sister comes in and you get the yeah. advice. So I was trying to show, I think, by doing that fly on the wall course never knowing what was going to come up the spontaneity the expression on your face the, and, and and I think it's important for our democracy that we don't the only time we see politicians usually is you know on the Andrew Marr show giving really defensive yeah. having their lines and repeating it and never really yeah. answering the question you know and that's that's why I did it and I was actually very proud of the documentary I thought it was a, a, a it gave a real insight into the world of an election campaign the aftermath I thought the title, you know, the summer that changed everything, yeah. it captured it really well, and yeah. uh, and it shows that there's a lot of spontaneity and unpredictability and, and chaos and confusion, and and it's important I think that people see that. So I I was very proud of it, but I was I was absolutely uh, amazed by the by the response to that particular scene. But when you do have that level of like a, a press gunning for you. Um, it is extraordinary obviously I haven't had that before being a humble little podcaster but when they go for you when they decide to go for you it's I should imagine that's pretty freaky you know and and, and I know we are in a, a podcasting community at least mine is very focused on emotion and, and real real depth like we want to know I don't like the first few interviews I've done more than that a lot of questions I do Brexit, Brexit, blah, 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 party politics, as, as we've done, which is very, very um, important to the to this podcast. But I, I've been more interested in trying to get to know politicians and what makes them tick. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, that that I think is so important because there yeah. is this this narrative out there, and obviously we had things like the expenses scandal, and which is deeply corrosive mm. to our politics, and we are in a situation now where people just say. Either they say you're all lying to us, or why don't you just get on with it? You know, why you know Brexit? Just leave. Just oh, get on with yeah, it. Yeah, I vote. Even me. What does that even mean? The number of times I'm questioned, I've seen people in the audience go, "We voted leave. We just want to leave." Well, yeah, we are. We are trying to. Are you thinking about the we're same? We're trying to unravel the you know, every single question time I've seen yeah. since Brexit has had at least one person saying, 
we just want you to leave. Why, why are you messing around? Just get on with it. And when you say, well, actually, we're trying to unravel 40 years. I mean, it's like trying to take an egg out of an omelette. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. you try doing that, mate. So, yeah. um, I, you know, there's all there's this such nonsense which is thought and said about politicians. So I guess, yeah. I guess it's about showing the warts and all side of it. But it's also, I think... Um, I hope when when people see that scene, they see that when they they get me, they're also getting Heller, and that's two for the price of one. Right? Yeah. And and is would they rather have the classic old situation of uh, here's the male MP and here's his wife in a nice floral dress who maybe you know goes to the community fete yeah. and, and bakes some cakes, which is a great thing to do. Don't get me wrong. Or are people looking more for something which is a little bit more closely connected to the 21st century. Or just, yeah. just freaking realistic. Yeah, I've, and, but, know, and also, like, I, I think the last thing in the world that I would want to be is married to somebody that just agrees with me all the time and says yes and never challenges, never asks questions. And I, I, maybe you could say, perhaps down the years, some of the politicians we've had, this kind of alpha male mindset who've ne- they've never had anyone challenging them and maybe that doesn't lead to somebody who's actually in the end going to be able to make good decisions because yeah. they can't take criticism they can't take being challenged they just say oh, I'm going to get the steamroller out push all of this through yeah. um, nobody steamrollers Hedda Torning-Schmidt so, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> which is a good thing cool right should we leave it at that because yeah. we've had the hour and that's so generous of you of course pleasure it's good, nice good to chat. Good to and chat. You, you can I say good, to get a few things off my chest. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. You can say goodbye to the listeners if you like. Um, that's. Uh, I'll say goodbye. See you later, guys. Take care. That was Stephen. Marvellous. Yeah, thank you very much for listening and uh, all the best to everybody. Brilliant. Okay. In the end, going to be able to make good decisions. In the end, going to be able to... In the end, 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 in the end.